Thank you for joining us today. I'm Pastor Hagen Lister here at Word of Faith Outreach Center in Joaquin, Texas. If you'd like to join us in person, all of our service times, contact information, and a map to our physical location is on our website. That's www.woftx.com. You can also watch past live streams or watch us live on our Facebook page, WFTX. We hope that you enjoy today's podcast. It's our last message uh, this, this month on uh, love God's way. And, uh, and so there I was just being a little facetious. How many of you know God's love is not facetious? Amen. You know, you know what that means? A little bit arrogant and sarcastic and different things like that. And uh, really, uh, you know, people will, will do things to push and prod on other people a lot of times. And, uh, and, and I know we've probably all done it. You know, how many of you know that's not God's love? Amen. So 1 John, the third chapter. Let me, let me read this to you. It's uh, verse 14. <clears throat> we know. Now, this is John, the revelator. And uh, I love the way John writes. And, uh, and, and he just has some amazing things that, uh, obviously, in the book of Revelation. But listen to what he says. He says, and we know. So there's some evidence. So when you know something, you've got to have some evidence. You know, sometimes when you, when you think you know something or, or it's, it's theoretical, right? It's like, well, I think if we do A, B, and C, then we'll get D, you know? I think. And, and there's times in our life we go, well, I'm not quite sure, or I'll say this, I'm going to do a little experiment here and see what kind of results I get or what have you. But John's not guessing. He's not doing an experiment. He says that we know that we have passed from death to life. How many of you know what we call passing from death to life in the way that John is talking about? What do we call that? We call that salvation, right? Passing from death to life. How many of you know that you were dead in your trespasses and sins? And if you haven't received Jesus Christ, you are still dead in your trespasses and sins. But if you've, if you've received Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, then what? You're not dead in your trespasses and sins, but you are, what? Alive to Christ, right? Been raised to, to his life. And so Paul, I mean, uh, John is saying here that there is evidence, there is evidence that you have been saved, that you have been Brought back to life. You have passed from death to life. He said, and the evidence is, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. One of the biggest pieces of evidence that you've been saved is that you begin to love where you used to not love. You begin to yield to a nature, a new nature that's on the inside of you. Uh, everybody ought to know this in this church, but I'll say it again because one of my favorite scriptures. But we are new creations in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away and everything has become new, right? If we're in Christ, we're new creations. We're brand new. So we have a new nature on the inside of us. And the Bible also says that the Holy Spirit has poured out the love of God on the inside of us. And so that new nature is the nature of God, and we know that the Bible says that God is love. Are you catching this? So if we've been saved, then the Holy Spirit pours out the love of God in us. 
Because He is love. And that new nature, that new person that's on the inside of us is made in the image of God because He's the only one that is perfect. And it says that old things have passed away and everything has become new. And the Bible also says that, that, that He has perfected those that are being sanctified. So you see how this is tied together. And so when we get saved and we receive the, the, the love of God, and we receive our salvation, then that nature that is on the inside of us now is the very nature of God, which is love. And John is saying the evidence, if you want to know if you're saved or not, it's because you love people. Thought I'd get better on that. I did, I did my best, Lord. Come on now. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Now, here, here's the other part of that. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Now, that's not talking about your actual brother, although he's included. And we could say brother and sister, right? Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding on the inside of him. My goodness, this is, I don't know if, you, if you're picking up on this, but this is strong. You know, so many times we, we get in the Bible and, and we read it uh, as, as something that is, is far removed from us. But I want you to really pick up the, the gravity of what John is saying here. He says, listen, if you're saved, there ought to be evidence of you loving people in your life. Not just people you like, but actually being able to love, begin at being able to forgive and forget and, and to move on with life. There ought to be some love on the inside of you. There ought not be all this pent-up anger. There, may, there, there shouldn't be all of this blaming this person and blaming that person and everything is everybody else's fault. And I just tell you what, I mean, I mean that person, uh, I know they don't know me, but they set out today just to make me mad by ordering all that stuff in the drive-thru. Now, come on now. Let me bring it right on home to you. But think about that. He's, say, he's saying something very, very strong here. If, if you want to know if someone's saved, check out what they, how they love. Check out their, their, their gossip and check out the way they talk about people and check out how they, they create chaos in people's lives or not. Whether they're peacemakers or not. Whether they're instigators or not. Come on now. Whether they're in everybody else's business or they mind their own business. He says there's evidence there. There should be evidence there. And the evidence is, is that you love your brother. And if you don't, what does it say? <clears throat> Sorry, I lost my place there. He abides in death, right? He who does not love his brother abides in death. And whoever hates his brother is in God's eyes a murderer. Oh, I just can't stand them. I just hate them. You just, in God's eyes, you just took a big old butcher knife and just went all Friday 13th. I wonder how many people you've killed. I wonder how many people you've murdered with your tongue. I wonder how many people I've killed. I wonder if by looking at things this way, 
we can see the importance of the grace and the mercy of God that is pointed towards us. Because this isn't a plaything to God. You know, we play around with things that God calls murder. Let me rewind that. And let me say that again for those in the back and on the sides. I want you to get this today. Look at how much we need the grace and the mercy of God just in this one area of our mouth. Because without God's grace and without God's mercy in our life pointed towards us, we got a lot of bodies on our hand. There's a lot of blood on our hands. Can, can we be honest in here and say, there's blood on my hands. Without, without mercy and grace, there's blood on my hands. And not only are we supposed to continually receive that grace and that mercy, I said not only, we are, to, we are supposed to continually receive that grace and that mercy, but we're also supposed to be yielding to the nature on the inside of us. Not just going, well, you know, God, I know I shouldn't say this, but you just killed him. And then go back, God, I, I know I shouldn't have said that. And, and, if I just, and if, even if I need to go apologize to them, I'll go apo apologize to them. And we get what we need, but we, but we never stop to think that God, it, it, the, the grace and the mercy of God is there, but it's also supposed to be having his word and his spirit work on us where we move out from these childish things, these immature things, so that we can be the, the full, powerful body of Christ that he's called us to. See, that's what we're forfeiting. The longer we play around in immature things as Christians, come on, help me out here. The longer we play around with immature things as Christians, the longer our church is not the powerful church that God has called it and created it to be. I've told my kids, when they, when they begin to get to that age of, uh, you know, Jackson's already passed it, but when they, they were starting to get to that age of, of, of about to drive and about to have a car, and they would, you know, just pull one. We've all pulled them, right? I'd say, you think just because you turn a certain age that I'm going to turn you loose with a vehicle and I can't trust you with this? Listen, God is a way better father than me. And you think that God would trust us with something if we can't even get over some immature things? Just because you've turned a number in your age doesn't mean you're mature. Just because a church has been here for a long time doesn't mean it's mature. Just because a church has got money and just because a church has got this, that, and the other and talent doesn't mean we're mature. We're not mature until we begin to walk in the, in the higher things of God. And that takes us understanding and realizing that it doesn't just happen by osmosis, but that we need to begin to look for evidence in our life. That, that, that through the Holy Spirit, God has poured his love out on the inside of us, but we don't actually start walking in it until we start walking in it. It's accessible when we, when we become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It's accessible. It's accessible, I said. You know, kind of like going to, to, to your mom and dad's house, your grandma and grandpa's house, if they're, if they're free with this. Uh, just, you don't even have to ask about what's in the refrigerator. It's accessible to you. But if you go and sit on the couch, you walk in their house, you sit on the couch, and nobody asked you about it or nobody offered you anything, and you just sit there and go, well, I, just, I, guess, I guess a drink's just going to appear in my hand at some point. Now, some of y'all have been so babied it does happen that way. 
But anybody come in my house that's a friend of mine or anything, all you got to do is ask. Is I gotta have, everything in my house is available to you. Whatever you want. You want something to drink or whatever? Yeah, you can just go, go get it. I'm, I'm, I'm a, I want to be hospitable and ask and say, do you need something to drink or what have you? But most of us came into the church and we just thought there were some things that were automatic and they were automatically accessible to you. But until you get up and go to the refrigerator and grab that and begin to partake of that, it's never going to bother you. It's never going to be a part of your life. There's some walking involved in walking in love. There's some action. And unfortunately, the times that we have to participate in walking in love are times that are no fun. Most of the time, there are times where we may even be justified in the way we're acting in the world's eyes. Most of the time, it's even when we're encouraged to act a certain way by the world. She said what? He did what? I'll tell you what I'd do. Listen, guys. We're the church. And to the church, John writes, we know that we've passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up in his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So there's, there's action to the love of God, not just word. Come on now. Galatians 5, 13 and 14 say this, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Through love, serve one another. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I'm going to say something. I I say strong things because it, 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 it gets us thinking rather than just reacting. But I guarantee you there's been more people in the body of Christ over the last 20 years, 10 years, that have been more upset about the Ten Commandments taken off of governmental buildings than they were ever concerned about doing the New Testament law of love. Just be downright up in arms. And I'm not for it being taken out out of our schools and off our government buildings. But listen, if you want to actually do something other than gripe and complain, all the law is fulfilled. Can I read it to you again? But through love serve one another for all the law. You know what the Ten Commandments were? It was the law. It was God's law. And it says right here, for all of the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There have been people... (laughs) 
break the New Testament law of love that God has placed now in the New Testament over trying to protect Old Testament law. Let me say it again. There have been people that have broken God's law, the law of love, the one that he holds above everything, protecting old law. God really doesn't need your protection. God just needs your obedience. If the people of God would stop trying to protect God and actually obey God, there may not even be needs for protecting the things that we have. That's probably the strongest thing you're going to hear in a pulpit today. If you are more concerned about obeying God than trying to protect something that God needs no help in protecting. Is this... Is this Am I speaking Chinese? If you obeyed the law of love and obeyed the things that were in the Bible and the things that God has commissioned the church to do more than fighting over something potentially being taken away, we might actually have something. And I will cross my arms and look you dead in the eyeballs and say that. Because it's true. We've been more concerned about protecting an America than serving a God. And I love America. I'm so, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for everybody who's ever laid down a life or, 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 or done anything uh, to protect us. And I'm not being high-minded, but I'm saying as, as those that have taken up arms and gone and protected this country and all the things that have been done uh, rightly in our governmental system, if Christians would have just simply obeyed more than fought, that's our, that's our part of the deal. I'm not making any sense. It's our responsibility to pray. It's our responsibility to hold up a new standard of the law of love. It's our responsibility to take care of people. It's our responsibility to actually be an entity that goes out with hands and feet and minister to people. But we've been caught up in fighting each other and fighting every other thing, and and, and we've lost the love of God that should be abounding in our life because if the love of God was abounding in our life and we we were so literally concerned about what other people were saying or thinking or doing or trying to pass or not trying to pass, and we were more concerned about just simply obeying God for our life and our family and being a part of the kingdom of God, there may be some things not going on right now. He said, sound like you're blaming the church for a lot of stuff. I am. I'm blaming myself too. That school up there is our responsibility. Not the government's. Those are our kids, not the government's kids. This town is our responsibility. This county and that parish, it's our responsibility. We have more responsibility than just the, the seven and a half acres that are here on this property. We have responsibility in the spirit. This morning, uh, we prayed in the back room for for Ukraine. Why? Because we have responsibility as a church. I don't care how far removed that seems from us. We have responsibility. 
And we'll never as a church take up our responsibility if we don't begin to key in and center on the fact that the love of God is on the inside of us because part of walking in the love of God is understanding our place and understanding our place of power. And our place of power as the church is to love our brother. <laughs> when we love our brother, we don't, we don't counteract that by fighting and fighting and fussing and trying to prove a point. We don't have to prove a point. We've already been, had the love of God poured out on, the, on us. We don't have to prove a point because we've already been brought from death to life. I don't have to prove a point to anybody. I'm not responsible to prove a point. I'm responsible to love people enough to preach the gospel to them. And so are you. We're so concerned about proving a point. Who's right? Who's right? Who's wrong? Who's right? Who's wrong? We're all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all wrong. He's the only one that's right. I done got off my message. This wasn't my message. I don't know what happened. Just let the Lord flow. Amen. The Amplified says it this way, For you, brethren, were indeed called to freedom. Only do not let your freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or an excuse for selfishness. But through love, you should serve one another. So how, how right here is, is Paul telling the Galatians that we love people? By serving them. By lowering ourselves. I mean, you know, if you lift yourself up in pride because of your freedom, you'll fall. But if you'll humble yourself, the Bible says under the mighty hand of God, he'll exalt you in due season. Well, when we serve people, we have to humble ourselves. Amen? That's why I don't mind serving. Because yes, I am serving you, but I'm serving the Lord. And that we're supposed to do? Serve as and work as in unto the Lord. And I know that when I do that, it doesn't matter what needs to get done. It doesn't matter how far I've grown or this, that, and the other. It doesn't matter if I'm pastoring 10 churches right now. If there's a piece of paper on the ground, I'm going to serve and I'm going to pick it up. If there's something that needs to be cleaned, I'm going to clean it up. If there's something that needs to be done in the kingdom, I'm going to do it. If there's somebody that needs uh, um, you know, me to love on them and, and help them through a tough time when, when a loved one passes away or someone's sick or, or there's a happy time of marriage and different things like that, why? Because I want to serve most importantly. I'm not here to build my kingdom. I'm here to build his kingdom. And this morning, you're not here just for what this church can do for you and your family. You ought to be here to get equipped for the work of the ministry so you can serve people in love so that you can actually start growing the kingdom of God and, 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 and put an end to growing your own kingdom. Hmm. I'm sorry. I'll preach a better one next week. My kingdom's worthless. That's why I left. My kingdom was worthless. I started building it back when I was a young teenager. I started building my kingdom, and, and, I, and I, I got into it pretty quick, and I started turning around and going, my, my, I'm, I'm bad at this. My kingdom's worthless. Now, some of y'all have been better at it, but, but my, my kingdom was worthless. And then I started seeing that I could be a part of a, a, part of a perfect kingdom. I could be a part of a kingdom uh, that, 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 that uh, promises eternal life and not just temporary life. I left my kingdom. 
the one that I was building, I left it. And I started wanting to build his kingdom. Why? Because I know his kingdom is the only kingdom that's actually founded on a rock. Not, on, not just a rock, but the rock of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter what comes this, this way. That's why I think so many people start freaking out when things like this begin to happen. People go, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Well, they're probably worried because they know that their kingdom is very, very fragile. And they know what it took to build that kingdom. But I, I'm, we're, if you're living in the kingdom of God, you don't have to be worried about anything. Jesus said that the the wind and the waves blew against that kingdom and it stood. But the one that was built on the sand, which is anything that is built outside of Christ, if it when the wind and the waves came, it just it was no match for it. It just fell right over. Our kingdoms are feeble, but His kingdom is great and will stand forever. Amen. And the only way that you're ever going to be satisfied is if you begin to walk in love and say, I'm not here for me, I'm here for him, I want to walk in love and I want to build his kingdom, and I know that if I'll humble myself under his mighty hand and trust him under his mighty hand, trust him for every single thing that I have, and and say, you know what, this doesn't look like it really benefits me, but the Lord's leading me to do it, I'm going to do this and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to serve his kingdom, and as I serve his kingdom, I just believe that he'll exalt me in due season. (laughs) Amen? Praise God. That's so good. But don't let freedom be an incentive to your flesh and an opportunity or an excuse for selfishness, but through love you should serve one another. One translation says it this way, uh, My friends, you were chosen to be free, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do anything that you want. Use it as an opportunity to serve each other with love. You know, we were set free and we were saved and sacrificed for so that we would freely and willingly turn around and serve. He's not going to make you. Turn around and serve. Serve what? What do you need me to do around here, Pastor? I I don't really need anything other than you Getting with God and figuring out what God has called you to do and how he's called you to serve the body of Christ. Amen? That's your business. I told somebody this the other day. Um, I said, you know, I think one of the biggest fallacies in the kingdom of God is when they've looked at somebody and they've said, because you don't serve the way I serve, you're not serving. Well, that's not true. You know in your heart whether you're serving yourself or you're serving the Lord. That's none of my business. Because there's been people that, I, that if I was judging, I've seen, I thought, well, they're just serving their self. And then all of a sudden one day you go, wait a minute. They haven't been serving their self. They've been serving the kingdom this whole time. They just weren't flashy about it. And then there's been other people that have been serving their self the whole time, but making it look like they serve the kingdom of God. But when the, when the chips uh, fall where they, you know, when, when, the, when, when everything, when the roosters come home to root, well, how's that go? Chickens come home to roost. Yeah, that's it. All of a sudden it gets revealed like, oh, you weren't serving the kingdom of God. You were serving yourself. And when it no longer benefited you, come on. And I'm not talking about one church. Don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about this physical location. You know, there's freedom for, for you and your family and God to put you in different local bodies. You know, people, 
people want to put such a, um, and, and, I, and I, as I said this before, this morning, I think we got the best, best church around, but I ought to think that, amen? And I really do. But that's not to say that, that uh, Brother Jody and them down there, that they're not the best church around. And Jackson up there, they're not, they're not, that they're not the best church around. And that's just ones that are coming to my head right now. Any, any church that's magnifying and glorifying Jesus Christ and getting people saved and discipling people, it's the best thing around. Amen? That's the body of Christ. But that's not to say that God can't move you in and out, you know, of, of, of different local bodies. You know, people change, pastors change, vision changes. Now, whether that's God changing things or people changing things, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. What matters is, is what's going on in that place. And is it, is it something that God has you hooked up to or not? You say, well, I've never really heard a, a pastor give people freedom and just tell them, hey, if you need to go somewhere else, go. And, and I'm not saying that. And, uh, please don't misunderstand me in an ugly or rude way because I want everybody here. And I think everybody here belongs here. But you know, you got to be where God's called you to be. The Bible says that he places the members in the body as he wills. So if it's his will, that's not my will. And if it's his will, that's not your will. Come on now. And when the Lord had me um, move on uh, from here back in 2014, I, I didn't really, that really wasn't up to me. I, I didn't, I had to yield to it, but I didn't really want to go. I loved you guys, still do. Even more. And then when I got there, it was nothing against you guys. Just ever, you get comfortable. You get comfortable where you are. And, and, and I remember telling Christy, I, I, knew, I knew that I knew I was supposed to come back here. But I just kept sitting back on it. And the reason why is because in, in my mind, it was, it was easier to stay. You know, we'd already pulled our kids up once. And we loved our church up there. And we loved the people in the town. And it was just easier to stay. But I also knew, and the Lord knows how to speak to me. He, he said, he said, Hagen, he said, you, you stay, and everything will be seemingly okay for the next four to five years because that's how long it'll take the grace train to come to a halt. And he said, when that's, when that's stopped, you're going to be miserable because you're going to know you disobeyed me and if you get miserable in a church, you're going to make everybody else miserable. And I said, well, I don't want to be miserable. I want to be in your will. Amen? Christians ought not be miserable. Now, if you've got sin in your life and disobedience is sin, then that can create misery. But if you're just out of your place, either you're not doing what God's called you to do here, here at the, uh, even here at this church, as far as you're in the nursery, but you know you're called to this, or you're in the, please don't leave the nursery. Uh, but if, if <laughs> everybody's called to the nursery. You understand what I'm saying? I've literally seen people not be in their place before and make everybody miserable. And, no, and they don't even know why they're miserable. And then the Lord just so gently and kindly just put them in a different area and all of a sudden joy comes back in their life. Amen? Well, that can happen within what you're supposed to be doing within a local church, but it also can, can, can happen if, if God's calling you to, to go be a part of another local church. 
You know, we ought not feel guilt or shame for saying the Lord's uh, moving me somewhere else, putting me under a different ministry. Now listen, if you come to me after this service, say, Lord, I, Pastor, I'm glad you said that. I'm going to say, no, you're called here. No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I think for, for too many years, guilt and shame has placed people in the body of Christ and not the will of God. Come on. Where's God calling you? What's he calling you to do in the kingdom? I'm not going to make that decision for you. And the reason why is because your life is yours. It's not my life. I've had to make decisions in my life that seemingly made everybody in my life and my family mad at me at one time. Ladies and, and children, if I, can, if I can give you a little piece of advice this morning, and I'm sure there's a thousand things that I do, and when Miss Christie preaches, she can give the men advice on how to, how to um, help out your wife. But I'm going to give you, and I'm kind of joking, but this is serious. When a man's trying to decide the direction for his family, it's a scary thing for, for him. Super scary. Some decisions are bigger than others. But you have no idea the pressure you're putting on your husband or your father when you're complaining through the transition. Because he just wants you to be good. He just wants you to be happy. And he knows that unless we follow God's plan for our life, we're not going to be happy. And I know it's not intentional. But I've seen men trying to make decisions for their family. And because they're the vision of the family because God made it that way. And I'm not saying it can't work the other way if the, if, the, if the man's not doing right. But I'm saying in general, in general compass, me and my wife make all the decisions together. But she's relying on me to really be steering things. I just, we're, we're in such a connection that um, we pray and then, you know, I, I listen to her if she doesn't feel like it's the right thing to do. And I go back to prayer on it. So I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about once the decision's made, and it's not completely finished yet. You have no idea the pressure that a man puts himself under when he's in that moment of faith. You know, because faith is those things that are that you can't see. Faith is evidence. So there's this moment in time where everybody's in the boat. And uh, maybe, let's just say the, the father of the house, he goes, he goes, okay, it's time to go get on another boat. But in between this boat and that boat is some water. And we're going to have to walk on it. And it all sounds like fun and games until you're in the middle of the water and everything begins to, to, the wind begins to blow and, and everything else and, and, and you begin to sink and, and then everybody starts complaining and, and this isn't the way I thought it was going to be and I'm under, uh, you know, I don't, I don't like the, the this discomfort that's going on here and everybody's this, that, and the other. You have no idea what a guy goes through in those moments. So if I could just give you a little bit of advice. In those times, if your family's going through a transition and, and your, your husband is, is seeking the Lord about those things, give him some encouragement and prayer. You know, because you don't see it that way. You don't realize that a complaint, uh, just even complaining about something. 
right, let, let's, let's get this out of, a, out of a serious realm. Let's put this in a, in a little bit of a funny realm. Vacation. Dad planned vacation. Okay? And nobody knows how vacation's quite going to be. And so, you know, you're, you're going and, and you're, you're stopping at a hotel. The hotel, you know, the website lied. It's not quite what you thought it was going to be. You know, they said it was five stars and it was two and a half. You know, well, I don't like this hotel. Oh, they don't even have, you know, they didn't even have Texas-shaped waffles at this hotel. All the hotels I always book got Texas-shaped waffles. You know, that's the kind of thing, and that's a funny thing, that's a funny way of seeing it, but that's what begins to happen. You don't even, you're, you're not complaining about dad, you're complaining about the waffles at the hotel, but dad booked the hotel, so dad takes the pressure on him. Does that make sense? Be very mindful of that. And guys, I will give you some advice. We don't think a thing in the world about a bag of trash sitting in the, in the kitchen. But that bag of trash is the sum total of how much you love your wife of uh, how long it sits there. I know it sounds weird, but if it sits there a day, and her, and she's thinking, he, he don't love me. And we're just thinking, I'll get the trash when I get it. Just messing with you. Was this okay? Romans 12.1. I don't know why I needed to say that there at the end. That, 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 that was the Lord, I believe. That was the Holy Spirit because I didn't plan on saying any of that. But let me just finish up with the scripture. Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And the NIV says it this way. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And the NASB says it this way, it's your spiritual service of worship. And we can interchange minister and serve right here because the, the Greek allows that. But if you go back to the, the, the whole verse and you read it in the Amplified, Romans 12, 1 in the Amplified, it says, I appeal, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg of you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all of your members and faculties as a living sacrifice, holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable, I love the way the Amplified says this, it's your reasonable, rational, intelligent service and spiritual worship. So Paul is saying here, reasonable, rational, intelligent people can look at all the things that God has done for you and all the mercies that God has bestowed on you and see, any reasonable, rational, intelligent person could see all the mercies that God has pointed towards you and go, you know what? I owe that person my life. I owe a living sacrifice. Everything I am is yours, God. You know, I don't think that just happens one time. It happens one time as far as us getting saved. But I'm saying, uh, I think that there's something to be said about prayers of consecration. You know, we don't talk about that a whole lot, but a prayer of consecration is just getting up in the morning and saying, God, I'm yours. You know, this is who I am. I, I work at the school or I work out in the oil field or, you know, I, I work down at the grocery store or, or whatever. I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mother and, uh, uh, you know, whatever I do, work from home and this, that, and the other. We could put a bunch of different titles there, but, but God, who I am today is all yours. 
Who I am today is all yours. I offer my body as a living sacrifice for you because of all the things that you've done for me. I'm not doing this to gain salvation because I've already been saved. It was a free gift, but I'm doing this in light of my salvation. And I love you and I love the people uh, that, you've, that you've put into my life so much that I want to give myself to serve you. I don't want to use my freedom uh, as liberty to just do whatever I want to do and serve myself, but I want to turn around and serve you by serving others. Amen? That's, that's love God's way. I mean, you've got to think about Jesus. Jesus comes to earth as, as God in the flesh, right? Not what we believe. He's God in the flesh. And he, and he lowers himself to a carpenter's son in, the, in the, basically the most unthought about city uh, amongst them. To the point where people would mock and say, is there anything that good that could ever come out of Nazareth? Remember that? He's from where? Is there anything that could even good come out of that place? Much less the king of the Jews? Much less the Messiah? Anything good come out of that? Jesus was constantly lowering himself to serve. Right up to the very moment where he could have called angels to rescue him. And he said, no, it's not my will, but it's the Father's will. Right? And in light and in view of that pointed towards you, your very life. We talked about it earlier. What, what blood do you have on your hands? How many mistakes have you made? And we could take all these messages and we can, we can sum it up. And what Jesus said, because they were trying to corner him and they said, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with everything. I'll just paraphrase. But he said, the second is just like it. It's to love your neighbor as yourself. And John says, the way we know that we have actually passed from death into life is because we love the brethren and we don't hate them. Amen. I feel like that, that there's something over the last month that has really just kind of broken our church, and I, I would say broken in a good way, not in a bad way, because I believe that any time that you take the Word of God and you begin to exalt love because God is love, and we begin to start operating in love towards each other and pouring out love towards each other, and just those people in town, I've, I can't tell you the last time, and, and I'm not trying to you know, seem arrogant or anything like that, but, but I preach and, and uh, all the time, and study all the time, uh, but that one message that I studied out and I preached to you guys about, about madness, I can't tell you how many times the Holy Spirit has reminded me of that for me. And so why, I, all of a sudden I just hear the Holy Spirit say, why are you mad? Why are you mad? And I go, because just order your food and get out of the way. And then I go, yeah, why am I mad? I don't have to respond to those feelings. Take a deep breath. And if you're, if you're in that big of a hurry, you shouldn't have stopped to begin with. Right? Well, I'm going to stop making it everybody else's fault. Why am I mad? Amen? And so I hope that this month has, has really helped you and changed you. We're, not, we're by far not done preaching on the love of God. But, um, but I just believe it's been a special time. I believe it's been a, a sweet time of, of God working on us. And the reason why God's working on us and there's so many hard things said this morning is because he needs a church that, that values walking in his love above everything else. And the reason why is because a church like that, he can begin to trust. He can trust with people. He can trust with the community. 
I'm thoroughly convinced there's, there's multitudes of, tr- of, of, of churches out there that God simply can't trust with the unbeliever. I had the Lord uh, speak something very strong to me in a prayer uh, night one night in, in Magnolia, and it, and it really began to change our church. And I was praying in the Spirit, and then, and then I, just, I just began to weep because I could, God shows me pictures of things before I say them, and, and, and I saw it, and I couldn't articulate it, and finally the Holy Spirit allowed me to articulate it, and, and I, said, I said, if we don't become good stewards of the people that walk in those doors, God won't send us another person. And I've just carried that with me even here. I want to be a good steward of people. And being a good steward of people doesn't take just me. It takes all of us. It takes all of us taking our eyes off of ourselves and beginning to look around us and say, how can I love on somebody today? How, how, can, I be, how can I serve somebody today? How can I serve my community uh, today with, with God? There's a lot of things you can do. But asking the Lord how to lead you and guide you into serving people in love. Amen? Is that good? Stand up on your feet. Again, thanks for joining us today. We hope that this podcast blessed you. Uh, If you'd like to contact us, all of our contact information or come see us, uh, all of our location information is on our website, www.woftx.com. We hope to see you soon.